Hey everyone, this is the uh, Nips and Sips podcast featuring Dr. Brandon Cruz and Dr. Jeremy Boy, that's me. Uh, today we're going to be talking about low back pain, something that troubles a lot of clinicians or I think a lot of healthcare providers all throughout the uh, nation, arguably the world, as it's the number one cause of disability in America. Uh, so I figure it'd be something kind of hopefully get some of our insight. We've been through residency training. We teach on the low back um, in our respective colleges and in continuing education. So hopefully we can get a good discussion going and help out some people. And then if anyone wants to discuss afterwards, we can get that going. But I'm going to pass it off to my partner in crime, Brandon. Uh, any words on this or let's talk about our sips? Yeah, you you said that this troubles um... – I guess a lot of medical providers, I'm going to say it troubles, you know, patients as well. I think what 85 to 90% of people, the stat is will have low back pain uh, at some point in their life. So, you know, this is definitely something that, uh, you know, most people have or will get, and there's not a good solution for it yet. This is something that's mismanaged, uh, at least here in the States, uh, and I, I would like to think some of the other countries actually handle it better. Um, but who knows? Australia has the highest chronic pain. But yeah, let's uh, let's roll into um, our, our sips. I have uh, my bib and tucker with a little splash of ginger on the rocks. Uh, it's one of my Ooh. actually becoming one of my favorites here. Uh, my office manager, Ashley, got it for me for my birthday. Uh, I think it was last year. And I think you're joining me today in the whiskey realm. So what do you got? Oh, yes. I'm drinking more of the Irish whiskey. Uh, I'm drinking. Jameson? No, no, no. This is the oldest whiskey, or at least they proclaim uh, that this is the oldest whiskey, I guess, company in all of Ireland. Um, it's Teeling Whiskey, uh, which is uh, started in 1782. My wife got this when she was in Ireland. Uh, right when we started dating, uh, about maybe three or four years ago, uh, and she did that. She brought this. It's a. Uh, I'm a fan of Irish whiskey. Uh, strong uh, has a little little spice to it, which is nice. Uh, and um, drinking out of, I always have cool glasses, so I figure I'd I'd always mention that I have a whiskey glass that my favorite teacher in high school, Doctor Murphy, who helped me get into the medical realm. I uh, wrote all my uh, recommendation letters. She got me a glass with the um, longitude, latitude, longitude, longitude, latitude of uh, one glass. The, the, the whiskey glasses is of Trifecta, my company. And then she got wine glasses for my wife. And that was where we got married. So oh, cool. that's awesome. Cool yeah. gift, too. Cool gift. Cool, cool, cool drink. Cool and sips. For our audience, uh, you're half Irish, aren't you? I'm, I'm, I am. I wouldn't say fully half, <clears throat> half Irish, um, half Egyptian, and then Irish, the whole Celtic little mix there, Irish, Scottish, Welsh, English. And if you ask my dad, um, 164th Spanish. I don't know. Every time I ask him, I don't know how he broke that down. He's been telling us we're 164th Spanish since I was a little kid. You ask him, he still sticks to it. Uh, one of these days, I got to pull out the little dna test to see if he's he's legit or not but apparently i'm 164 spanish too but uh yeah i think mostly irish on that little celtic mix there but uh i'm nice. sure i'm sure you know low back pain probably imp- impacts all those countries as well 
I think we've kind of gotten to this little theme when we talked our clinical chats of kind of our progressions with low back pain, maybe starting because we have, you know, a good a student physical therapist following, kind of starting off with that, uh, where we kind of began and then let the conversation go from there. Uh, personally, for me, I um, low back was definitely my weakness, definitely something that scared me the most when I got an eval or when I was a student as well. Uh, but definitely coming out as a clinician, uh, the, the program that, um, st- like where I was, it definitely evolved since then, but they were definitely heavy in McKenzie, which definitely has its place. Uh, you find a good directional pro- uh, you know, preference, um, for those, you know, lumbar radiculopathies or just standard low back pain. Um, but that's kind of where they left it off as. So, I was kind of SOL or should I have luck there when it didn't work out. So I'd go through all the motions, extension, flexion, side bending. And if it didn't have anything or didn't result in any symptom reduction, then I was kind of scratching my head there. So, and then if there's chronic pain, automatic, if you're like, oh, you had it for a couple, you know, months or six months and up. Uh, into a couple of years, I was like, okay, you need, I, I legitimately referred people to psychologists, which was kind of a dick move now that I think about it. Oh, I, wish really? I, I, didn't, I didn't know you did that. I, I did. I, I would mention it and I probably lost a lot of people. This was pre-residency time. Um, and it was just, that's kind of what I don't know. I learned in school and a couple other things was, you know, you know, chronic pain and, you know, they have some things going on. So Definitely, definitely not the way you should go about doing things. I haven't really made the, I meant once here, it's once or twice a year, I do make that referral uh, as an adjunct to therapy. Um, if it's beyond kind of what we can provide pain science wise, or there's a lot of issues at home, I'll make that referral psychology, but it was definitely a lot more frequent. And I, I regret that in the long run or regret that now, but that's kind of how it started off with me, uh, kind of a rocky road, and we can kind of talk about how things are progressing, but I don't want to talk for too long. What about you, Brandon? Yeah, I have a quick question, though, because I didn't know that. Um, did, I guess, was your school teaching uh, chronic pain or quote-unquote pain science or you know, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is needed for that? Like, Because I, I, I didn't refer anyone out um, coming out of school for psychology that would have been the last thing i would have thought of um you know this is back in 20 2013 2012 2013 um when i first came out and then i rolled right into residency so i my my change my i guess the way i treated back pain changed really quick but yeah i just wanted to ask that because i find that very interesting it wasn't so much uh like a tie into pain science it was kind of like they mentioned like if there was chronic pain they um i had one professor who's extremely holistic amazing researcher mary lou galantino probably everyone knows her name she's heavy into research um i believe she just got a uh fel- the, the fapta the fellowship of the american physical therapy association uh so she's pretty high up there in the in the ranks of physical therapy but she's very um, again, kind of a holistic in nature. And she made the kind of notion, say, especially with like SIJ, and we can kind of talk about that. Um, and I was thinking when I first came out, everyone had SIJ issues. 
um, that, you know, that there's some issues and there's chronic pain, that there's probably uh, a psychological component. If it's just not getting any better, they've seen some people, you need to make the, the referral to, to kind of have someone talk about that. Or and then there's also the talks of, hey, and I kind of used it, abused it, or, you know, probably went too much into the weeds of it. There may have been some trauma, especially like sex and those sort of things and assaults and these sort of things. So literally everyone was, not everyone, but a good more people than it should have. I was making mm. that referral, but it wasn't like, here, you need to have these conversations with your clients. Uh, we weren't trained with that. I, can't, I guess it's more on the notion that you're not trained, we're not giving you that training, refer to someone who is trained in talking and kind of accessing what's you know going on in people's heads. Um, so that's kind of where it was. I probably maybe took it a little too far or this or that. Again, that's kind of, kind of how I worked. Again, I wish I could have had that back, but that's kind of how it started off for me. Yeah, interesting story. Thanks for uh, definitely shedding light. I, I mean, I, you and I have known each other for, what, five years or so, and I, mm-hmm. I didn't know that that take on, on the way you handled it. So cool to know. Uh, you know, with me, like I said, I rolled into residency pretty quickly. Um my big thing was treating the, I guess, radiculopathies. Um, I didn't really know. I mean, I would mobilize them, but I was just like, all right, that's just what you'd kind of do. And chronic pain definitely changed. Uh, chronic pain, I just treated pretty much like anyone else with back pain. And just, I thought I could change it. Um, and which, don't get me wrong, some some people do respond to to that. Just because somebody has had you know, pain for longer than three or six months doesn't mean it, it's always, you know, uh, chronic, uh, or I shouldn't say chronic in that stage. It doesn't mean it's chronic pain, quote unquote, and doesn't mean they need pain science. Sometimes it's just a nociceptive input that needs to be altered. Uh, I actually had a pretty good fill with my first uh, rotation. So they were pretty hands-on with manual. So any type of facet or lumbar strain, uh, I was in the, the habit of mobbing and kind of doing some exercises. But uh, definitely for me, the chronic pain stuff when I got to residency and the, I don't know if we've talked about it before, the O'Sullivan video and, mm-hmm. you know, Adrian Lowe and stuff like that was definitely monumental for just my approach with it. And I don't know if it really changed. Um, I still do, did manual therapy and I, I still do manual therapy. It definitely changed the why of why I'm doing manual therapy and, I've definitely shortened what I'm doing with manual therapy, you know, while before I used to spend, you know, half an hour with these people. Now it's like I'm using manual therapy as an entry point, as a, a time to, to build rapport and educate my patient. And then we're up and, and doing, you know, motor relearning and, and kind of uh, working on confidence and regaining uh, motor patterning and things like that. So that, that's probably the biggest jump and what I did is just my approach and the whys behind I u- why I utilize a certain treatment, which basically now is manipulation for pretty much all my low back patients. And we'll get into that as we go a little on into this podcast. But uh, yeah, what um, I guess, what are your thoughts on the treatment-based classification? Let's start with that. I, I think that's a, a good starting place for people who don't have a full understanding of where to go with low back pain. Uh, if, yeah, that was, that was pretty monumental for me as well. Um, I don't think we got that in PT school. Now I know, um, as I'm part of the musculoskeletal team, I know they implement that, 
Uh, I have a student from where I was an alumni from uh, that if they, he understands that sort of things. So I think it's a great, a great research article. It's a great thing for that entry level when you just haven't had enough experience and your, your patient size or population size of your Emmet is small uh, that you just, you know, haven't got your hands on enough people um, just to kind of be able to, all right, is this patient a, you know, directional preference or a centralizing client? Is this a, you know, a, a stabilization client? Is this a manual therapy manipulative client? Or is this a general exercise um, conditioning one? Or is this somebody who needs more education um, and, you know, pain science sort of thing? So having these little things and these markers to kind of identify who may benefit from one, what main category of interventions to apply and possibly some evaluative techniques to determine who goes into what category. I think that was pretty, uh, pretty helpful for me as a early clinician. Uh, and then it started to, as I kind of grew, started getting into, you know, seeing more clients and those sort of things, some things kind of came through where it was just like, okay, what happens if, you know, based off of these sort of things, you got like a client who fits into all three, uh, you know, symptoms are less than, you know, 30 days. Uh, they have a, you know, a, you know, a great straight leg raise, um, can benefit from, you know, core, uh, control exercises. They're young, you know, it kind of taps into multiple of these categories. What do you do then? And that's a lot of your clients or you start to see, it's like no one fits exactly into these yes. categories yeah. as you start to 100%. grow. Um, so that's when you're like, I remember I came to that point where I'm just like, Oh shit. Now what do I do? Like, which category do I pick from? I don't want to, you know, pick it. And then I think at one point I had one client I was like, well, it fits into three of them. Um, do uh, I started one session with like mobilizations and then the next one was core. And then, the next one was, you know, uh, you know, directional preference sort of things. I, I, I couldn't decide and I started to kind of realize, right, you know what, you know, this thing is a, a good Kickstarter, but it's not end all. It shouldn't, it's a guide. It's a little guide to get yep. things going, but it 100%. shouldn't be absolutely. It, this is everybody fits into these nice packages because the body and the brain people are way too variable to for any research to perfectly classify maybe in a thousand years we can identify exact markers for everybody but i would be highly surprised even that because it's just brain body is just way too variable for everybody what about you brandon yeah i think you said something very profound and i hope i'm going to reiterate i i think that's the biggest takeaway from from this especially when you're using treatment-based classification it is a starting point. It is a platform to begin, you know, to look through, I guess, a lens for some of your patients, but it's not the end all be all. And it's probably better for some of those novices. Uh, and I'm going to bring up one of the, uh, well, hold on, let me not get too ahead of myself, but you know, I was with you on the same boat. I, you know, when I rather came across the uh, low back uh, APTA guideline, um, that, uh, that's on the JOSBT website. I mean, I, I was trying to follow that to, to a T, you know, classifying my people. Okay. You're here, you're here, you're here. And I, and I got 
pretty good results and it helped me it helped do the thinking for me but like you said it only takes you so far uh it's, you know like the the cpr for manipulation you know that only takes you so far and you probably want to do it where everyone um i'm sorry i should say well you want to do it for everyone but you try it and you only manipulate the people that fall into it and then as you evolve over time like you were saying now you kind of leave that initial platform and kind of develop what works for you and what you've noticed was working for your patients and, and kind of develop your own your own system uh and like i said before i anyone with low back pain uh within reason you know after you rule out anything uh red flag wise i'm manipulating mm-hmm. so i became to only you know i've went from only well not being able to manipulate because i didn't i just didn't have the skill set to manipulating the people who only fell in the manipulation criteria then now i pretty much manipulate anyone with low back pain because i use it as a control alt delete and a reset and a pain modulator and a quick buy-in tool and you know a whole host of other things that that it's going to help me do what i want to do but going into that i think you had a great point as well those people that have two or three classifications and there's an article by Stanton. I think that was in 2013 or 12. He talks about that. And then there's an update. There's a treatment based classification, uh, low back pain revision mm-hmm. and update that was in 20 was it 2015. I think this was made in, um, by or 2016, 2015, 2016, somewhere there by, um, Muhammad all Wally. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. The last name is A L R W A I L Y. But they redo it and they kind of poke holes and say, all right, you know, that previous, that the, the original treatment based classification that was made in 95, you know, has only taken us so far. And then I believe Fritz redid that in 2007. And I'm referencing, so, I've, you know, hopefully the listeners can, if they're intrigued, can go and look these up uh, and just kind of expedite the timeline here. Uh, you know, and now they're going to this one, this update where it acknowledges, hey, we have these five, you know, four primary movement classifications, but there are errors in that. And, and some of them is that that stabilization one is specifically, I mean, that that one kind of became the one where, OK, if you don't fit any of the other three, well, you just kind of get shoved into this one. And maybe that wasn't the best thing for us to do is to just shove people into that stabilization one. Or like you said, if. You have two things. If you have a directional preference and you fall into the treatment place or, or if you fall into the CPR of manipulation, which one do you do first? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's something that evolves with, with time and skill set. Uh, you know, just to answer that question, if you have somebody who has a, you know, a lateral shift, but they also fall under the CPR, the manipulation CPR, you got to correct a lateral shift before you go manipulate them. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure after that, you're going to do some motor relearning or motor control or some stabilization or whatever you want to call strengthening, whatever bucket you want to put it in. But now you're doing all three of them, but you have to understand what order you have to do that. In. And that's going to be patient and depend patient by patient. And that is the art. I'm going to go back. I think we've said this before in podcast. That's kind of the art of what we do as physical therapists. Uh, and, you know, there are people out there who kind of bash research and say it's not good. It's not this. It's not that. But, you know, you have to take it with a grain of salt sometimes and you have to be able to think through it as well. You can't just rely solely on a randomized controls t- trial because they have their limitations uh, with this stuff. 
and what they're able to actually do and test for. Uh, and like you said, people are too variable to try and be able to just lump them in a box. So uh, I think I had a long-winded response there. I apologize. But uh, yeah, yeah, but um, I don't know. Should we do a, a I'm going to, you mentioned uh, SIJ. Should we uh, save that for a different podcast? Probably. I, I, I think kind of feel um, like that deserves its own topic because I, I, yeah. I have some stuff on here I could definitely rant on about. And um, when you really break it down, I have a lot of articles um, that actually talk about how you have to clear out the low back and clear out McKenzie's direction of preference before you can actually do SIJ. So we'll save that for another day. But yeah. that's a, I guess a little, little teaser there for the audience. On uh, if you're having trouble with SIJ, because I know I think that's definitely overtreated, and it's really not the SIJ; it's really the low back. So, uh, yeah, yeah. A little, a little tease there for you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I still I still have students. I still I I, I kind of contact multiple you know other practitioners. That's something that's highly you know still still either being taught or still people are holding on to it. Uh, there's a lot of fascination with that. Still, you know, have it into your toolbox and to assess and everything like that. But I, I agree, it's something over, over diagnosed in a way. But that's something we can talk about at a future time. And uh, yeah, you definitely hit some, you know, nails on the head there with what you were talking about of how kind of you evolved and those sort of things. And um, I think that's important for our audience to hear is, you know, is a learning process. You can have all the research articles in the world um you know but you know you gotta you gotta be open-minded and constantly look and experiment and test things out it's when you kind of put yourselves oh well this research article said this or this continuing education class said this um that's when you start to kind of get into some trouble and your patients not progress because you won't you'll limit your options as well um so um, that's why you kind of want to, uh, we, we've been talking about is, you know, you'll want to fall into specific tribes or be called a certain type of therapist. Um, I think the beauty about the, the profession is, you know, as long as you're caring for your patient, listening to them, and you just have the drive is that creativity to kind of figure out what is best because, you know, people are variable, um, you know, no recipe is going to be the same for one person. I can say I've been practicing for five years. I don't think any treatment plan, you know, has ever been exactly replicated from one client to the other. Um, so especially with the low back, I mean, the complexity behind that um, is, is uh, you know, especially when you start talking about, you know, the brain and, you know, how people move and maladaptive patterns it's just, uh, it's, I always, now, I, now that, you know, things have, I've grown, evolved, learned now and from low back pain, which I don't know if anybody ever uses those out there in my, where I used to, where I kind of grew up as a PT, uh, and learned and did my OCS residency and where the clinic I was at, BSL Physical Therapy, which was a great one. Uh, we used a system called photo, uh, funk focus on therapeutic outcomes foto um it's kind of like a left's odi has all those sort of things but has um it's able to be tracked online and then tracked nationally um so we were uh i think by the time i took the ocs test 
I was one of the best in the nation or like eight, 90th percentile on training low back. Um, it just from just progressing and learning all these sort of things. So again, yeah, just being awesome. creative um, and just not, you know, I always kind of say, and we, we kind of preach in the residency and these sort of things is that impairment based model is where you're looking and evaluating everyone specifically and seeing those specific impairments and attacking those and understand that there can be things with, let's say manual therapy of any kind of degree. I believe there's a hierarchy of manual therapy where prior joint manipulation and mobilizations are probably up there. And then maybe, you know, instrument assistive or dry needling and then soft tissue mobilizations are a little lower, don't have as much bang for your buck and, you know, utilizing those and then attacking the impairments versus yeah. putting something, um, into certain boxes and stuff. Um, but yeah, speaking, speaking of boxes, Jared, let's, uh, I kind of want to transition a little bit to red flags, uh, and the low back. I find that a lot of clinicians, especially newer ones, fear the back, fear the spine. They, they fear of night pain they, or, or numbness tingling. It's a red flag. Um, they, they rush, or can rush to referring people out because they are unsure for imaging, which we know pretty much means diddly squat for the low back. Uh, let's, you know, what, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? How do you handle some of that stuff? Uh, and then I'll, I have a whole host of stuff. I, I'll go off on here. There, there, I think there's going to be a long podcast, but uh, <laughs> anyway, let, let, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. A kind of piggybacks off of our last podcast which was becoming the, that primary care provider of, of musculoskeletal issues. So physical therapists becoming direct access primary care providers of when to refer out, when to, when not to refer out. And um, especially those things, I, I was definitely one of those people, again, it's just over diligent or whatever, where I got a couple of red flags. I was worthy of a refer out. I'm more probably in the, going back to me referring to psychologists was probably my weakness and lack of confidence in yep. treating the low back made me, I hate to put it to myself because this is about myself a little bitch and I had to refer out or I didn't want to handle this sort of stuff. And it came to a point where if I saw it on my eval or on my schedule, I saw that low back eval. I was like, ah, oh, this, this son of a gun. I'm like, they're probably faking it. That's probably a motor vehicle accident you know, you know, try and get something out of it or, you know, you know, it's all in their head, some sort of, you know, crap like that. Um, and one of those things like numbness and tingling and those sort of things. And I think with our research and how it's growing and stuff like that, we used to have these red flags and, you know, you got a couple of them. I still hear some students and those sort of things and they get a couple and they start to get a little antsy. Oh, we got, you know, oh, they're hyporeflexic. They, they have numbness and tingling. Do we, do we refer out and those sort of things? And it should be more of also like those clusters. It's got to be more than just one or two tests that, you yeah. know, that are causing you to refer out. Night pain yeah. by itself is not a red flag. Yep. Yeah. Who doesn't have night pain? I mean, shoot, you know, I play a you know a good game or I train in the gym. Yeah. You, you may have some soreness at night or, you know, that's pretty typical at what rotator cuff repair or rotator cuff injury doesn't have night pain. You know, you can't use that as an excuse to kind of refer out, you know, and then, you know, take, all right, well, yeah, they have numbness and tingling that can be 
uh, you know, maybe a yellow reddish flag, or they might even orange. be hypo, orange, orange, um, a hypo reflexic or hyporeflexia of the patient. You know, why don't you use that evaluation to maybe see how you can impact that? If it's mm-hmm. truly a red flag, like we're talking, you know, metastatic tumors or something on the spinal cord or something of that nature, you can do everything under the sun, and it's unlikely that that's going to make an impact on that potential red flag. But mm-hmm. if it's truly something musculoskeletal, you can do something. And you taught me this real well, where um, you may do a manual therapy or some nerve glides or maybe some exercises and make a direct change. I mean, you opened my eyes to the whole retesting reflexes. I never thought I would ever test reflexes or whatever reflexes. Okay. They're there. They're not there. Or they're way too much. And that was it, but never used as a test retest. So that can become something that's those orange flags or red flag. And all right. So that person doesn't have reflexes. I did some things and all of a sudden I retest and all of a sudden the reflexes are there. So it's gotta be a combination of probably multiple things. And can you impact those potential things? If not, then yeah, maybe make the referral when you have a whole list of things and things you'll start to develop. I I tell my students a little spidey sense. Yeah. Things are not right. And maybe uh, treat them for a couple of sessions. Maybe, all right, you know, notify, hey, to the client, you know, you have these sort of things. Uh, these can be normal things to just about anyone, but we're going to monitor them for you. If you feel uncomfortable, feel free to, you know, go reach out and um, go see an orthopedist or a spine person. But we'll see you for a little bit and, you know, see them for like a week or two weeks. And if you're making some positive impacts, then you're probably heading in the right direction. It's not getting any better or getting worse, then yeah, that's that's probably the time for you to refer out. Um, well, but I I, I kind of went on a rant as well. But what about uh, you, Bren? It's all right. Yeah, we're. I mean, let's put things in perspective. We're we're in a first world country. We're in America. Uh, we live, especially you and I. We live in the Northeast here. Like most of our patients, I guess, fortunately or unfortunately, have probably been over medicalized with things. So. I mean, if you're having trouble with some low back pain, like really take a step back and see what's going on. Chances are it's not a red flag. And I just, I'm just going to go over the red, the five major red flags here because I, I don't consider, and you said it before, numbness and tingling, you know, sciatica uh, to be, and, and I use sciatica in quotations, to be a red flag. I mean, our red flags are spinal fractures, neoplastic changes, which, uh, you know, probably have a previous history of cancer um and they're probably over 50 quarter equina okay that's probably your number's tingling but that's we're talking saturday anesthesia ankylosis spondylitis and spinal infection okay so unless somebody has a major trauma or a car accident or something they probably don't have a fracture maybe an older adult if they fell or maybe a younger athlete with because of overuse then like you said the spidey sense you have to be on alert but even then probably not the case you talked about cancer uh what i think you know what is it cancer is the most common systemic disease affected the spine yes 100 percent. but for us fortunately for us that's less than one percent of low back pain episodes have cancer in their spine so, like, when you put that in perspective, less than 1% of people with low back pain have have cancer. You could pretty much kind of, 
you know, push that down the list on what's going on. And I think one of the biggest things of, of having can, uh, a risk of cancer is over 50 or under 20. So if you're over 50, again, spidey senses go up or under 20 spidey senses go up and pe- previous history of cancer. So if the person never had cancer and they're not between 20 or 50, again, how does that change what, what we're looking at? And again, like you said, failure of con- failure to respond with conservative management. So if you hold on to them and treat them and let's see how this progresses, I mean, these are all the things that you pretty much need to look for for something serious. And then just, you know, last thing on cancer, most common types of cancer that are going to metastasize, breast cancer, lung cancer, and prostate cancer. So, I mean, right there, you can pretty much narrow down what, what we're really looking at and now really begin to treat, okay, it's back pain. And most things are just in America over medicalized because there's MRIs, there's imaging, there's there's opioids, there's injections, there's there's everything in the world, there's surgeries to treat low back pain, but yet all of it sucks. So yeah. you know, we, we need to change the way we're we're managing this. And you know, the patients that we do get, we need to not turn away to a chiropractor or to a physician to go see him because we're not confident in our own ability to treat. I, I think that's one of the bigger things uh, it comes down to what, you know, know what you're looking for and then have a plan of attack. Like you said, with your impairments and go from there and see how the patient responds. Give it a few sessions. So, yeah. I mean, people need to realize like what position that we're kind of in or we are in, not even kind of in um, where we can make these impacts to people's lives. I think the quote is adding years to lives. Or uh, is that what is add life life to years is one of the APTA's quotes. Oh, uh, I don't know. Uh, something uh, like that. Sorry, it's it's on one of our posters. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the whiskey's probably getting to me. Um <laughs> but, yeah, uh, all those beers, man, you're not ready. I know, that, so. man. I'm, I'm feeling it. I mean, I don't know how you do this, uh, especially for episodes back to back, but kudos to you, Brandon. You're yeah, you're at next level. But you know, I I know I even know of someone who went down that traditional model not for a little back pain but just for um elbow and wrist issues and i think she ended up getting like i don't know 14 15 i don't know maybe even more x-rays mris on these sort of things and now she has she has cancer and she's she relaxed uh recently and i'm reading following up with her um and it's it's you know scary it's scary where oh. she's at situation wise and not to if cut we, you off here, you said now I don't know if she has cancer now because the MRIs. Because I I would that, you know when you have that many, I mean you probably you know you're glowing. Yeah. I mean it could have could have been I, and maybe that was the original symptoms, but yeah. I, I I might be short. So I think she might have had ten plus surgeries, so okay. probably a lot more imaging before that. So yeah, I, was gonna say, I, don't, I don't think MRIs actually are, are there a risk. I will say this: CT They're magnetic. Scans. CT scans, what was this? This is in uh, the Archives of Internal Medicine, 2009, this uh, article, this stat. Uh, CT, lumbar CT scans performed in 2007, 2.2 million. Cancers from them, 1,200 mm-hmm. from, from CT scans. Like, we need to stop doing CT scans to everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, MRIs don't, you know, cause the risk that CT scans do, but you just said you said what you said. 
uh, about this lady going through how, however many imaging x-rays, MRIs, CT scans that she had, you know, like this, you know, imaging needs to not be overutilized so much. We need to not, uh, and I get it, you know, sometimes doctors do it to avoid biases or they do it to cover, you know, cover your, their ass and not miss anything. Cause we're in a very litigious world, but you know, when it comes yeah. down to it, you know, what are we really doing? Yeah, for our non-clinical viewers or listeners out there, if there's any, you know, I get clients now that almost get angry for their low back pain and the fact that they don't get an immediate x-ray and MRI. I guess that was kind of the old kind of ways. I kind of remember that earlier in my career was you had low back pain, you got x-ray, MRI, boom, bang. Um you know, and they're like, oh, my insurance doesn't improve, uh, approve it. And I try and educate them is, yeah, we find that out that people who get these images, one, there's all those, those risks of potentially um, cancer and those sort of things. But beyond that, I don't even mention that, is that, you know, clients do worse um, when they when they typically get those. If there's those red flags, those scary things, yeah, it's probably a good idea. I've had you know, in my career, two people who who I had to refer for um, for imaging, and one had cancer, and one had a cyst on his spinal cord. Um, the others were all, you know, within normal limits. Uh, you know, maybe some things here and there, but they weren't worthy of a referral. Um, you need, like, clients need to understand that. You know that. Some of people, some people will come up to you like, I don't feel like I'm going to get better. I always ask the question is, you know, do you think you'll get better with therapy? Is there anything else that you feel like you can help? Um, and some people are like, I think I should get imaged and stuff. And that's your opportunity to throw in your pain science or just throw in just education is, we, you know, we're, yeah. we're trying pain, to avoid pain that. Is education. Education is pain science. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, it's not a. Uh, Two separate things. Something it's not different, you know. Mm-hmm. People really. I hope therapists begin to understand that. I know we've we've talked about it. Sorry, mm-hmm. not to cut you off. No, 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 no. I, I, why I don't even know why I said it. And they are the same thing. And I used to write my notes: therapeutic neuroscience education. I think that's an Adrian Lowe thing, but it's all the same yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, they need to understand that. Yeah, we don't want you to go for imaging unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, you start in talking about that and why you know you know try out the conservative approach and yeah if it's because it's not getting better and after a decent period of time then you know go for it but start already implementing yeah i'll even tell people um or if they had it for a while and they already scheduled their x-ray mri before they come to see me or right when they start to see me is i'm like yeah you're gonna find some junk in there at this point of your life or hell i'm from I think I've seen 13 year olds or even younger, maybe have, you know, changes in their MRIs where they're having, um, you know, herniated disc or I think I had one kid had stenosis and this sort of thing. I'm like, listen, you're going to find something as, as imaging continues to get more and more enhanced and better pictures, just like our cell phones have better cameras. You're going to find more junk. But that's, that's a great analogy. That's yeah. a great perspective right there. Yeah. Uh, it's, maybe, this whiskey is, you know, helping me with some profound thoughts here, uh, but um, we, we should do shrooms next time. Really. Oh, uh, man. Now that's, that's what we're talking about. We could get a lot of episodes off of that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, try and get your clients away from that thought process. It's a lot of 
we kind of tell, I always tell my clients that, you know, their low back pain isn't necessarily, you know, due to, it's not their fault. It's a, it's a poorly, you know, medical management there, but it, it's also somewhat fueled by society wanting all these things that we previously given, um, you know, whether that be yeah. injections and those sort of uncle Johnny got an injection, you know, 10 years ago and that fixed him up and like, well, yeah. there's better options than you know, sticking that in, uh, epidural into your, into your back there. So it's a little bit of, you know, obviously education. Um, yeah. So we're, you know, just you, while you were just to add on to what you were saying, I, I actually have some stats to back it up. Um, you know, for the audience here, journal of American college uh, radiology found what year was this 2010, this article was written, I think. Uh, 26% of medical images ordered were inappropriate. 53% of uh, inappropriate uh, referrals for CT scans. 35% of MRIs were inappropriate. And then to really kind of hopefully wrap up what you just said, MRIs, in fact, facilitate the medicalization of low back pain due to its visual depiction of the patho. Uh, pathoanatomy so you know like you were saying and just to kind of wrap it up for perspective here there are a lot of pain structures in the body that can cause pain structures in the low back that can cause pain you can't determine what's causing pain Mm -hmm. via an image via a a standstill image And, and you know pts really need to be able to navigate these waters and discussions better with their patients Mm-hmm. And there's things with imaging that, that, that are false. You know, I think I don't totally quote me on it. Um, depending on what time you get your MRI will be a higher presence of a, a herniated disc or not. Or if you're well, more. Yeah, well, what, what's the disc made up of? Water. <laughs> Content, yeah, yeah. When, when are you going to have the most water in the disc? Morning. Yeah. Or, right. and this is actually a, a great point that you put it up. When people have acute strains to the low back or you know, maybe even neck or like a whiplash or something or a sprain, there's going to be increased swelling in that area. Just like you have increased swelling with an ankle sprain, your ankle swells up. When you tweak your back, for lack of a better term, when you strain your back, sprain your back, whatever term you want to use, that's the same thing's going to happen. When you have whiplash of your neck, you're, it's going to show a herniated disc because it's probably inflamed. Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, if you're a clinician and there may be a MRI, you may have gotten a client, let's say you're not in a direct access clinic and they have a L3, L4 um, herniation, but their symptoms are presenting a little bit more distal or maybe in the thoracolumbar region and things aren't adding up. It's all right. Yeah, there may be this acute response and things change. And then how you add it up. All right. Well, you know, their Achilles tendon reflex is off and, you know, they have symptoms down the L5 dermatome. How does this make sense if it's higher up? Um, So things like that can impact things. And it's not exactly, you know, again, purely towards image. Um, Again, I think uh, I don't want to throw the whole medical society under the bus, but I think I recently saw that that most surgeries and MRI, I think 60 plus percent in the anonymous surveys were mostly financially incentivized. 
um, which is again kind of kind of a scary. Um, so again, if we're not really incentivized for those things, we don't know and no, we're not you know in contract with any of these imaging companies. You know, test out the the conservative route. You can. There's. I don't think there's any studies unless again it's one of those serious red flags, where if you know, and that goes through across the whole spectrum of things. Besides maybe Achilles tendon repair, um, shout out to Kevin Durant there, where things may score over and you'll start the healing process when you have the tear um, mm-hmm. prior to. But even your ACLs and all these labral tears and stuff like that, that waiting isn't going to change your outcomes if you go down the surgery route, you know. Yeah, you know, you're not people, people. I was just talking to a client, you know, I think this last week or something like that. Is people believe if they don't get it right there and then, all of a sudden it's going to get progressively worse, and even after surgery, it's going to get progressively worse, and it'll never be quite the same. You know, there's no research or anything to confirm if you don't get that surgery that day, that you know you're totally screwed for the rest of your life. So you know, wait it out, see how things go, and I tell people I don't care what conservative route you approach obviously i'm biased towards physical therapy but i yeah. tell people in hell if it wrap in foil around your head and singing songs and stuff works for you i don't care but you know go down that route before we start sticking needles and knives into you and that sort of stuff i love it um let's uh oh we've been on this for a little bit here yeah let's uh let's let's skip over the neurodynamics have you already had our neurodynamics one if you guys want to Learn about that. Uh, check out our other our, uh, other podcast on neurodynamics. It's episode eight, uh, I think. And let's probably let's skip over the kind of like the, the chronic back pain because we've already had a pain science one for now. Uh, we could always come back to that. Let's uh, dive into one last thing here: stenosis. Mm. You want to just touch upon that for a little bit? Ah, uh, stenosis. Stenosis. When I first saw stenosis, I'm like. Your ass is, you know, touching the ground all day. You're bending forward, and that is your solution. You know, it's flexion, 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 flexion. Um, you know, and then the day that I got someone with stenosis and herniated discs, um, then I was kind of like, uh oh, what what the hell do I do now? Do I do extension or do I do flexion? Those sort of things. Oh, there you go. Uh, again. Yeah doesn't fall into a perfect package and you go into, I, I remember shadowing, sorry to go on off a tangent here, but I remember shadowing a surgeon or orthopedist and he had his pre-made exercise programs for whatever part of the body and his Miguel flexion exercises was for anyone who had stenosis. And if you're really doing a thorough examination on these people, you know, a lot of time flexion isn't helpful, especially if it's some stenosis with some neuroclodication or some adverse neural tension, you know, you put uh-huh. that on them in flexion standing, it's going to actually piss them off even more. Uh, and that's, yep. you know, something. So again, same kind of approach of kind of what I was talking about before is that impairment based model is, yeah, if I have someone with stenosis, yeah, I'll, I'm going to look at flexion, but again, I, I maybe, maybe, um, you know, becoming numb to things and diagnosis and do too much direct access. But when I see these stenosis or stenotic clients, you know, I still run them through the same examination and I'm trying to find what is works best for them that day. 
and very rarely is it you know purely just flexion um so it's again it can encompass manual therapy i'll do some mobilizations manipulations and hell i've had some do the very opposite uh, you know extension if it means b um so that's kind of me uh, I get obviously still a lot to learn, start, still a lot to test out. I don't see too many stenosis patients right now. My average age here is um, between the 20s and 30s. So it's it's not as much. Again, direct access. So they don't even know. I'm sure they do have some form of stenosis, but they don't even know it. Um, so what about you, Bryn? Yeah, I think uh, well said. Uh, no- Obviously, check, make sure it's not neurogenic glycation, do your differential diagnosis. And yeah, I'm doing my mobilizations and my manipulations. Uh, they actually respond quite well to lumbar manipulations. Mm-hmm. And I actually focus on the hips a lot. Mm-hmm. You clear up some of those hips and kind of that lumbopelvic region. And they do quite well with that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, you retrain them with, you know, some exercises and increase their tolerance and things like that. But yeah, I've had I've had really good success with uh, treating the hips and treating the low back with some manipulations, and they love you. Yeah, and so and sometimes they're. I mean, most of the time, from when I was working with Pure, all right, this person has stenosis. They're already in a flexed position, and you can kind of look at tight hip flexors and this sort of stuff. And all honesty, they need to get back into extension. That's when I like to start doing those hip PA mobilizations or anything like that. I know Scott, um, we always mention Scott Burns here. He's doing his, I think, his PhD work on, you know, doing hip mobilizations for low back pain. Um, but you start kind of playing around with those hips and those sort of things and actually, you know, desensitizing or kind of habituating them into a fully standing erect posture, yeah. then, you know, you're, you're, you're their best friend. Again, they already figured out the whole – I think they mentioned it. It's like that whole shopping cart analogy where they start to feel better in a shopping cart. I remember having a couple of clients that did that. Um, but yeah, that's great. That's, that's going to de- you know, make the pain less, but it's your job to restore, you know, normalization in their life and get them to, you know, stand upright and, you know, reach for overhead shelves and all these sort of things. So yeah, I couldn't agree more with the hip mobilizations and stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, you mentioned Scott Burns and his PhD. Uh, he has several articles that he's pumped out the past couple of years. Uh, pe- I'd say past year, year and a half on uh, hip back syndrome, uh, and uh, the you know the correlation between the two, and basically you know regional independence. One of our other podcasts that we talked about, uh, you know, treating one for the other. So uh, if you guys have any questions, definitely reach out to us. We could send over those articles. Uh, really good articles that uh, I've read through and provide some great insight and perspective on, on you know, the whole lumbopelvic hip region there. Yeah. So um, I think we had a good talk about it all with uh, mm-hmm. tying it all together. And uh, I'm sure this may be a, you know, be a two episode sort of thing or we may come back to it. Um, Cause again, that's yeah, that- something that limits our I again if I talk and I'm looking at residents and, and students and stuff it's probably number one on the more difficulty sort of thing and definitely limits America the most so um, hopefully we you know at least uh, scratch the surface a little bit for everyone and um, yeah all as as we always it, mention uh, you know what we should do and that's cut you know. before you wrap up here I'll be, I'm gonna have one on, on uh, 
S-I-J. I'll reach out to Christina and see if she wants to do it because she was McKenzie certified uh, prior to going into her residency and she like swore by McKenzie. Mm. And now I think she's uh, kind of, you know, uses it as part of her assessment but isn't tied down to it like she was. Mm. And she's, uh, I think she's crossed or is crossing. I, th- I think she's crossed though officially into the manipulation realm and uh, this side of things, team manipulation. Team manipulation. So she'd probably be a good one to have on, who's someone who went through all the, the course from McKenzie for, you know, the audience out there who wants to know a little bit more about that and then also just how to uh, navigate the waters and not go down that rabbit hole and only be in that rabbit hole. Mm. So, yeah, well, that, if that's the case for Christina, of the three MDT or McKenzie certified therapists I've known, who've gone undergone residency training or anything like that, they've all kind of kind of faded away. There's a company by us down in South Jersey that originally made all their all their therapists McKenzie certified, and yeah. um, they uh, they no longer do that. But they they're funneling a couple residents, and again, I guess they showed it, uh, residents and fellows, and now they kind of broke oh, that. You know, it's a pet peeve of mine. Do you ever get this? Someone, a patient calls in and they're like, "Are you McKenzie certified?" Yeah, I get that all the time. I just say yes, and then I'm not having that conversation on the phone. It's going to go right over the head, and they're going to hang up. Uh, McKenzie and Graston. Obviously, I know McKenzie. We know the principles mm-hmm. of it, and then we get them in and we educate them when they're in. Yeah, um, just for any listeners, if they ever had that happening, and you know you can help a patient with low back pain, but they're just ill informed, or like you said, their uncle had it. And it worked for them. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Especially yeah. when your orthopedist can give you a piece a piece of paper and say, These are your McKenzie exercises and there you go. Uh, then you can definitely say, Yeah, you know, when someone calls for that, yeah, I'm McKenzie certified because I'm guaranteeing even if you're not McKenzie certified, you're you have more knowledge than that it, piece of paper. So uh, You know it's funny, McKenzie is not just extension, but that's what it's just known for. Yep. Yeah, which is kinda <laughs> crazy. So um yeah, I, that grass and all those sort of things. I'm like, yeah, I yeah. can, I can help you out. I understand those principles, and we'll, we'll do it. So I haven't had someone like call us out for it, be like, you wait, you're not, and I'm not getting better. No, by the time you know end of the evaluation, they're they're team sure. team us. So, um, yeah, but <laughs> that's probably we can even have another talk on that, but. We'll wrap things up. Uh, my drink is all done, and uh, hope yeah. yours is too, there, Brandon. And uh, it is. Uh, we'll talk about uh, ways to reach us. Uh, feel free to reach out to us at Manips and Sips. Uh, mine is personally the. If you want to reach me out on my personal, you know, uh, Instagram or Facebook, I'm the decent doctor. Or my company's at Trifecta Therapeutics. Brandon's at Think Like a Fellow. And that pursue PT now. We we welcome any questions. We'd love to help you guys out. Uh, I wish I I mean I was lucky that I get a lot of mentors early and often. Um, but I know plenty of people. I've people you know I have a kid in Arizona right now who talks to me because um, he doesn't have a mentor in his clinic and he kind of goes through his case studies and stuff to to help him out. So we're here to help out and. Uh, Hope you guys enjoyed the episode and I hope you learned some things, but uh, cheers, everyone. Have a good one. Cheers.